Good morning and welcome. Good to see you here today. We've got a much better number than the last time I was here, and I know that we are grateful that you're present today. If you're a visitor, we want you to know how much we appreciate you coming our way, how grateful we are that you are here today, and we hope and pray that what is said and done will benefit you. I appreciate Brother Billy leading our singing, and the songs that we sang today, beautiful songs, and we're very grateful for the opportunity to sing, as Paul said, with grace in our heart to the Lord. I do appreciate Jared filling in last week while I was away. I appreciate him preaching, and I know that you appreciate Jared and his family and all the great work that they do. And today we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages of Scripture, and I would call attention to the passage that was read a moment ago, Isaiah chapter 34, in connection with 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As you turn there again, let me, let me express appreciation for your presence today. I know that uh, the elders are happy that you're here today. We're grateful that our numbers are getting better. Uh, I'm not sure what the future holds. I think that this may be somewhat of a new normal for us in some ways. And with regard to the virus, my conviction, we're probably going to have to learn to live with it to some extent. And uh, we're just going to have to learn to work around it. And so hopefully and prayerfully they will develop a vaccine that will be helpful and can get us back to some type of normalcy very soon. What do you think is the most acute need in America? What would you say is our most pressing need? There are no doubt many, many needs that we have in this country. And I would imagine that as you think about that question, there are a number of things that come to your mind, and you would say, you know what, we need this, or we need that. But when you really boil it all down, and get back to the question at hand, what is our most acute need? Could I suggest to you today that our most pressing need in this country, and really in the world, is we need to encourage people to go back to the Bible. Fundamentally, what keeps us where we need to be is God's Word. Sometimes we talk about a system of checks and balances. God's Word has the ability to bring balance or symmetry to our lives. Somewhat disheartening to me, it is disheartening to me, to see the attitude demonstrated by so many people in our world today and in this country when it comes to the Word of God. Quite frankly, there are a lot of people in our world today, they do not see the inherent value in God's Word. Go back and look at the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, as a spokesman for God, said, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. And Moses said, choose life that you and your descendants may live. 
There are a lot of people in our world today, they have missed the boat when it comes to the power of God's Word in their lives. I want to begin with an analysis of Scripture. And I would encourage you to look at what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 16 and 17. And I want to begin by asking you this question. When you think about the Word of God, what is your attitude? What is your reaction to God's Word? Could I say to you that what we need to develop, not just in the church, but in the world, in this nation, we need to develop greater appreciation for God's Word. We would do well to emulate the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, 160. When the psalmist and the long ago said, My heart stands in awe of your Word. There was a day in this country when God's Word was lived out by her citizens in many respects. Many people in this country and even in the world had a deep and abiding respect for Scripture. Now, they may not necessarily have understood the precepts of New Testament Christianity as we understand them, but they did believe in the God of the Bible and they believed in the Bible. They were convicted they were convinced that this book ought to be the rule for life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds us of the author of Scripture. What sets this book apart from other books is that the source of this book is Almighty God. Now we can look around in the world today and based upon the handiwork of God, we can conclude there was a divine designer. As the psalmist said, the heavens declared the glory of God. But the only way that we can know the mind of God is by revelation. And God has revealed His will to those of us in the human family through the apostles' doctrine. And so Paul would say, all Scripture is inspired of God. In other words, every Scripture is God-breathed. It has as its source Almighty God. When Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter underscored the fact that God's Word did not originate with man. He said, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation but rather holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. So as Peter would say, we have everything necessary for life and godliness. And that's found in verses 3 and 4, 2 Peter chapter 1. So our attitude towards Scripture really helps to shape who we are and what we are. So we talk about the psalmist and his awe. He stood in awe, in reverence of the Word of God. 
And then, the author of Scripture, Almighty God. But what about, what about the ability of Scripture? Does God's Word have the ability to aid us in this life? Well, listen to Paul. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God's Word can profit us, but it cannot profit us if we never open it. The reason why we are, why we are groping in darkness in the world today is because many people have not followed the, the advice of Isaiah. When Isaiah said, Seek ye out the word of the Lord and read. When is the last time you opened the Word of God and read from the contents contained therein on a regular basis? Not just Sunday morning, not just Sunday night or Wednesday night, but how long has it been since you fed upon the Word of God daily? Didn't Jesus say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And didn't Peter say to new Christians, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you might grow thereby? And did not the same writer say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Amos in the long ago talked about a famine in the land. The famine that Isaiah or rather that Amos talked about in chapter 8 of his inspired book, was a famine of hearing the Word of the Lord. We have a famine in our land today. The famine is people have gotten away from the Word of God, and it is evident we are paying a heavy price for it. When you divorce your life from the Word of God, I promise you, you will pay a heavy price. Do you remember Hosea the prophet in Hosea chapter 4? He brought an indictment against the children of Israel, and they were God's chosen people. Into their hands had been committed the oracles of God. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 3. But he said there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. That is amazing. That covenant people, Individuals that had access to revelation from Almighty God were barren or bereft of divine truth. He said because of that, there is swearing and killing and lying and stealing. He said, and committing adultery. They break all restraint with bloodshed after bloodshed. In verse 6 he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In chapter 8, in verse 7, he said to the children of Israel, they have sown the wind, they'll reap the whirlwind. We are reaping the whirlwind today. People who not only do not know what the Bible teaches, but they do not practice what the Bible teaches. Sadly, that's, that's the case in the church in many, in many places. So, we talk about our attitude towards Scripture with regard to how we ought to view it. The author of Scripture, 
the ability of Scripture. Paul said God's Word has the ability to do something in our lives, to make us complete. So what about the aim of Scripture? Did God have a divine aim in mind in giving us His Word? Yes, He did. He said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. This idea of righteousness. Solomon said righteousness exalts a nation. How do we learn about righteousness in the commands of God, do we not, according to Psalm 119, 172? And the psalmist said, the sum of your word is truth. All he's saying is, when we take the sum total of God's truth, analyze it, apply it, what will it do? It'll bless our lives. There are a lot of people in our world today, they look at the Bible as a book of can't-dos. Can't do this, can't do that. God did not give us His Word to hurt us, to hinder us, but rather to help us. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that God has given us His Word so that He might bless us. Go back and look at the children of Israel. When they got themselves in trouble, it was because they got away from God's Word, wasn't it? So in the lives of people today, if people's lives are crumbling and eroding and the foundations are being destroyed, there has to be a reason, doesn't there? That's why when you look at the lives of people all around the world, what God is saying is, if you'll follow my word, if you'll live according to my will, I'll bless you. So what about the application of Scripture? You know, it's one thing to read Scripture. It is another thing to internalize Scripture, to make application. Listen to James in James chapter 1. James writing to Christians. And James said, be ye, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. God's Word does little good in our lives if we don't make application. That's where the disconnect is. Now, I would grant that we are living in a culture today that in many respects has very little use for the God of heaven. We live in a culture today that has very little use for God's Word. We have abdicated the principles and teaching of Scripture, and we're paying a price for it. Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And the idea is there are some who turn their nose up at the Word of God. They think they know better than God. And as Paul said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We have a lot of educated fools in our world today. They have a lot of knowledge, and they have, they have been schooled in some of the finest universities around the world, but they don't know the first thing about God's Word. They have no idea about the ABCs of Scripture. So when we talk about applying Scripture, our most pressing need, I want to begin by saying our most pressing need by way of application. We need this book 
spiritually in our lives, do we not? This book has got to be at the forefront of our lives. If we identify ourselves as children of God, this book must be internalized. As Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3, verse 16. We are living in a time that, just to be very honest, is heartbreaking. I never thought that I would see people today never dream that we would live among people who endorse any and everything. We have become so touchy-feely in this country that to stand up and say that there is only one way to be saved and that there is only one person who can save us that is viewed as bigoted, narrow-minded, and anything else you can come up with. But I want to read you what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want to read you what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. When he said, neither is there salvation in any other. You can appeal to Islam, you can appeal to Buddha, you can appeal to a lot of other things, but the bottom line is, there is a God, He has a Son, He's called the Son of God, and as Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sin. That's what the Bible says. So Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name of the heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If anybody in our world is going to be saved today, it runs right through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's narrow-minded, but it's true. People might not like it. They might make concessions. They might compromise. But the truth is the truth, and it does not change. By the way, the very same Jesus that said, unless you believe that I am, also said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, he said, the same shall judge him in the last day. People can cast off the word of God. They can say that they're not interested in serving the Lord, but one day they'll stand before him. We'll all stand before him, won't we? As Paul said, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body, according to what we've done, whether good or bad. To affirm that salvation is in Christ and it is in the church of Christ. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. And what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. That means anybody not in Christ Jesus is not saved. The only way to get into Christ Jesus is to be baptized into Him for the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Then the Lord adds people to His church. And then the exhortation is to be faithful until death. Now I want to link this thought. We talk about applying the Scripture. Our most pressing need is to understand that God's Word, there is a correlation in God's Word and our spirituality. What about, we talk about spiritually, but what about paternally? How many times have we said, as the home goes, so goes the nation. 
Our nation is in trouble today because the home is adrift. That's a fact. You look at our nation today and you think about some of the problems we're having, it all goes back to the home. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you know why some young people are engaging in the behavior that they are today? It's because they do not know what is right and wrong. They have no idea between truth and error. Hosea said in Hosea chapter 14, the ways of the Lord, listen to him, are right. God's Word is right. Now people might not like it, but it's right. And it doesn't change. No matter how much we want to change it, circumvent it, whatever, it doesn't change. Paul said to children, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it might be well with you. In order for children to respect their parents, parents need to live a respectable life. And there are a lot of parents today, quite frankly, that just don't measure up biblically. They don't support their children spiritually. They don't support them educationally. They don't support them economically. So we got a lot of problems. One of the real cracks in the armor of our nation and other nations is marriage. Marriage is fundamental to the family, isn't it? And listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 126. Look, we're not reinventing the wheel here. The psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. If you're not building your home on the Lord, you are spinning your wheels. That's it. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they're building their home, but it's not on the Lord. And could I say, in a very honest and candid way, it is evident it's not built on the Lord. Mamas and daddies acting godless. And then their children demonstrating the same kind of behavior. Where'd they learn it? They learned it from mama and daddy. Paul said, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Where did we get off track? We forgot to teach our children. And we forgot as mamas and daddies when we enter into marriage, it is until death do we part. And let me give you a scripture on that. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. We're living in a day and time when it has become fashionable, it has become legal for two men, two women to marry one another. And we accept that, that kind of behavior. There are folks in the church today that condone that kind of behavior. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, have you not, heard, have you not read that He which made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Marriage defined by God, not the Supreme Court, not Washington, not a politician, Marriage defined by Almighty God, one man, one woman, listen to him, for life. That's it. That's what the Bible says. 
And the erosion in our country is evident. Hosea said in the long ago, I have given unto them the great things of my law, but they're, they're counted as a strange thing. There are people on the street today, if you stopped them and said, do you think it's okay for two men or two women to be married? They'd say, sure. And then if you said, have you read what God said in His Word? You know what they'd say? That's a strange thing to me. Never heard that. The erosion of our nation. If we're going to be what we need to be, then our homes have to be founded upon the Lord. And so as members of the body of Christ, our homes have to be founded upon the Lord. They have to be focused on the Lord because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And this lackadaisical, lukewarm attitude that is prevalent in the minds and lives of some people will not cut it. I said it before and I'm going to say it again. Our reaction to trial defines who we are and what we are. I understand COVID-19 is a serious thing. I get that. And we can debate a lot of things about it, but I understand there are people that have suffered greatly with it. Let me tell you what, some folks are suffering from more than just the coronavirus. They have allowed the virus to weaken their faith. They were already weak in the faith, and now they have become weaker, and in many respects, they're gone. Nowhere to be found. And look, there are some people that don't need to be out. I understand that. But I'm telling you, there are some people, and they are members of this congregation, they might be watching right now by streaming. They may not be watching. They go to work, they go to Walmart, they go to the ball field, they go to rate, they do all kinds of stuff, but they can't be here. Let me tell you, that is a problem. Serious problem. What did Jesus say? If you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. There are a lot of folks that are using, they're using the coronavirus to destroy their spiritual life. Now that's not a blanket statement covering everybody again. Qualified, I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying. There are some people that have compromised immune systems. There are some people because of age and other problems. I get it. They need to be very careful. There are some folks, they're out here going about business as usual. Business as usual, except Sunday morning. I tell you what, brother, that's wrong. Wrong. And as a parent, you have the responsibility of training your children. Our most pressing need is to educate our children and then exemplify the Lord before our children. If they don't have a faith, whose, whose fault is that? When Paul wrote to Timothy in the long ago, he talked about the unfeigned or genuine faith that dwelt first in his mother Lois, or rather, in his grandmother Lois, then in his mother Eunice, and then he said, and I'm persuaded in you also. And then our most pressing need, ethically. We live in a land today 
We live in a land today that sanctions the destruction of human lives via abortion. Millions of babies have been destroyed. Ethically, we do not view life as sacred, do we? In many respects, we talk about the sanctity of human life. Didn't Moses write in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and likeness? And didn't God form man from the dust of the earth and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul? And didn't the Hebrew writer say that God is the father of our spirit in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9? And yet there are people today that just casually wave off human life. For many, life is expendable. To God, life is valuable. The Bible still re- look, it hasn't changed. God said He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. That's a fact. We have a lot of blood on our hands in this nation. Somebody's going to pay a heavy price for that. So, ethics. I mean, did you ever think you'd live in a day and time when people blur the lines when it comes to human life, the right to life? You know, the right to a human being to live? And so, sad time. Let me suggest also our most pressing need, and these are interlinked. Our most pressing need, racially. We're living in a day and time when race and racial prejudice is a problem. But I want you to understand something. It has always been a problem with the human family. This is not new. You go all the way back. This idea of race or prejudice It's been alive and well for many, many years. I said a minute ago, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. When Paul stood before the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, it's recorded by Luke. Paul said, God has made of one all nations of blood, to dwell upon the face of the earth. Really what he's saying is, God has made out of one all nations of men to dwell upon the face of the earth. Who is the creator of man? God is, isn't he? God's the one that has made us. As a matter of fact, David said, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. That's true for every human being, isn't it? When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or to all creation, He's talking about the human family. When you get to the New Testament and you start thinking about the problems that we have today, you need to understand there was prejudice in the first century. How did the Jews feel about the Samaritans? You remember John chapter 4, verse 9? When John said, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? The children of Israel had been sent into Assyrian captivity in about 722, 721 B.C. 
They never returned from captivity. Many of those, many of those people intermingled. They intermarried with pagan people. And so they were identified by some as half-breed. And then the Gentiles. How did the Jews feel about the Gentiles? Didn't it take a special circumstance by God to show to Peter and the other apostles that his intent was to save both Jew and Gentile in one body? Acts chapters 10 and 11 bear that out. Jews looked at Gentiles as dogs. They didn't like them. They didn't have any use for them. So the design of God was to reconcile both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Do you know how you rectify the wrongs that are going on in our world today, racially and socially? You preach the gospel. That's it. The gospel is the answer. Let me tell you, the institution that ought to reflect that all people of all color can dwell together peaceably is the church. That's it. In the first century, did they have slavery? Yes, they did. Some 60 million people were slaves in the Roman Empire. That's the report. And then you look at the plight of women. Women were viewed in a negative light. And yet, what did the gospel do? It elevated their status, didn't it? Didn't Paul say there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female? You're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So when we talk about the racial problems that we face in our world today, look, God looks at the heart, doesn't He? God doesn't look at the outward appearance. In James chapter 2, James chided Christians in the first century for their prejudicial feelings. He said, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to persons. They were honoring the rich, snubbing the poor. There are a lot of ways that we can be prejudiced in the world that we live in. But to understand that we've been all, we have all been made in the image and the likeness of God. Every single soul is, is invaluable to God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every soul, red, yellow, black, and white, as Jesus, as the song that we sing, they are precious in His sight, aren't they? All are precious. Every single soul. So we talk about the pro and let me tell you what. I said our most pressing need. There are people today, they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we somehow rectify this racial injustice and these racial problems that we have in our, in our world today? Well, how'd they do it in the first century? They preached the gospel. How are we going to rectify any wrongs in our world today? That's why I said this book is our most pressing need. I can just imagine standing before Congress or Senate and saying, you know what, guys, I've got the answer to the problems that we face. Here it is. Here's what Isaiah said. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Take note. You want to rectify the problems that we face in our, in our world today? Get back to this book. It's not rocket science. Socially, socially, do we not need God's Word? And you talk about viewing people as individuals made in the image and the likeness of God, respecting every single human being, 
socially speaking, how then can we reach a point to where we get along with one another, we treat one another in a respectable way? Let me just read for you what Paul said. In Romans chapter 13, listen to what Paul said. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, here it is. For the commandment. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. He said, if there is any other commandment, listen to him, summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to ask you, if we genuinely loved one another as we love self, would we treat people differently? Would we have problems like we see being played out today? We genuinely love one another. Look, we wouldn't be murdering. We, we wouldn't be stealing. We wouldn't be coveting. We wouldn't be lying. Why? Because we're following God's Word. Two wrongs don't make a right. There's either a standard that's right or there's not. Either there's a law that we follow and honor or we throw it to the curb. Say it's not for us. God's law trumps all law, doesn't it? Listen to what Paul said, Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I want to add another verse to that. This past week, I was thinking about how radical the teaching of Jesus is. You ever thought about how radical His teaching is? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Therefore, whatsoever you would that men do unto you, do ye also unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. All right, boil it down. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want to just change the complexion, the landscape of our world, of our nation? Then let's just take God's Word and live it out every day. The standard for doing what's right begins in the church. That's where it begins. We are the standard bearers. We are salt and we are to be light. We ought to be telling people, if you want to get this world where it needs to be, we've got to get back to this book. There are a lot of folks that have never even started with the Word of God. But there are so many problems in our world today, and many of the problems that we face could be cured if we'd go back to the source, go back to the Bible. Do you believe that? I believe it. God's Word has the answer to where we are. I said a minute ago that there are a lot of folks that would laugh out loud if you said, look, this book right here, it, it can get us where we need to be. You remember Paul and Silas when they were in Thessalonica, they were charged with turning the world upside down. Let me tell you what, the world needs to be turned upside down. John said the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The root cause of all of our problems, it's called sin. And the mastermind behind sin is the devil. And the devil's all about destroying human lives. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to listen to this. 
A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Divide and conquer. That's the devil's handbook. And let me tell you what. The devil's handbook is in fashion today in our world. That's why we got all these problems. We think we know better than God. Well, how's that working out for you? Not very well. What is our most acute need? It is to go back to the Bible. It begins with us. And we've got to let our friends and neighbors and family members who are not members of the body of Christ, we've got to let them know this book right here is the answer to all of our problems. It begins with salvation, obeying the gospel. And you think about how God's Word, how imperative it is. On Pentecost Day, when they obeyed the gospel, verse 41, God's Word told them what to do to be saved, and it told them what to do to stay saved because they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It worked then, it'll work now. But it can't work if you don't use it. Kind of like going to the doctor. If you go to the doctor and you talk about all your ailments and problems, and he says, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to start exercising. You need to lose weight. You need to watch your diet. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then you go back in two months, and he says, well, how are you doing? He said, well, I didn't follow anything you said. Well, guess what? If you don't listen to what the doctor says, it's not going to help you. If we don't listen to what Jesus said, it won't help us. As James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repenting of your sins as they were commanded to do on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, 38. Confessing Jesus as the Son of God as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ so that your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then be faithful. If you're here today and your life has gotten out of focus, you're not where you need to be, you need to come back to God, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.